Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens. My name is Josh Downs, and today's episode is episode 23. We're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and John chapter 13 under the theme of In Remembrance. I remember so quite some time ago, um, Spencer W. Kimball, President Spencer W. Kimball, giving a quote that always has stuck with me and that has really emphasized the importance and the significance of the word remember. He said, when you look in the dictionary for the most important word, do you know what it is? It could be remember. Because all of you have made covenants to know what to do and you know how to do it. Our greatest need is to remember. That is why everyone goes to sacrament meeting every Sabbath day to remember. And I know that I have certainly found that statement to be absolutely true in my own life. The value of remembering is priceless, which at times can be frustrating because as you get older, it tends to be, I don't know, it gets a little harder, it feels like sometimes, to remember. But young people, I want you to know that there is incredible value in remembering. When we remember those things that matter most, when we remember Christ, then life seems to go a little bit better for us. In context of what we'll be studying this week, let me first give you a little bit of the background. The day before he died, Jesus gave his disciples something to remember him by. He took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood. That happened about 2,000 years ago, in a place most of us will never see, in a language few of us can understand. But now, every Sunday in our own meeting places, priests or holders authorize to act in the name of Jesus Christ, do what he once did. They take bread and water, bless it, and give it to each of us, his disciples. It's a simple act. I mean, can there be anything simpler, more fundamental than eating bread and drinking water? But that bread and water are sacred to us because they help us remember him. They're our way of saying, I'll never forget him. Not just, I'll never forget what I've read about his teachings in his life. Rather, we are saying, I will never forget what he did for me. I'll never forget how he rescued me when I cried out for help. And I'll never forget his commitment to me and my commitment to him, the covenant that we have made. Now, as always, there are some great principles to pull out from your study and your reading this week in these chapters. I want to just give you three for you to focus and and reflect on as you go throughout the week and, and maybe find ways to apply a little bit more personally into your own life. The first comes from Matthew chapter 26 and in verses 20 through 22 in particular. There was quite an amazing thing. And this this night was very, obviously, very special. A lot of uh, amazing things happened in it. This was uh, the, the period in the event known as the Last Supper, where Christ, again, instituted the sacrament. Uh, as a part of this evening, he also calls out the individual that is going to betray him, which I, I think is, is an interesting, makes for an interesting discussion as well. 
Um, he teaches his disciples the value of service as he washes their feet and leaves them with some parting counsel and advice. And he does one thing in particular to really help prepare him for the very difficult road ahead. The first thing I want to take a look at is that the Savior pointing out who it was that was going to betray him, letting his disciples know that there was one among them that night that would betray him. Let's first start in verse 20 of chapter 26 that reads, Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. In verse 21, And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Now, first of all, I, I just want to point this out because I think this is important to understand, young people. I, I've had many people over the years ask me, if the Savior knew that Judas would betray him, why did he call him to be an apostle? Well, one of the things I think is important to understand in terms of, of the gospel is that sometimes what is right one day may not be right the next day, but that doesn't mean it wasn't right at the time, right? When Jesus called Judas to be an apostle, I have no doubt that it was right, that he was right. He was in a good place, that he had qualified himself for that call, that he was worthy of it and ready for it. However, somewhere along the lines, he lost his way. We have to remember that everyone has agency. And I think this could apply to a myriad of different life experiences. I've had people come up to me and, and tell me some of their life story, uh, many of which have involved things like divorce. And some of the conversations have gone something like this, where, you know what, I, I don't understand what it was. I felt absolutely right about this person in this marriage. And then it turned it out, it turned out to be so, so bad. And, and I think the concept and principle can still apply to even a situation like this. There will be times in your life where things will feel right. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong in that moment. But yet people have agency. And again, what was right one day may not mean it will be right indefinitely. And so the best thing that we can do, and maybe one of the, the takeaways from this, is to remind ourselves to live day by day. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And we can't worry about tomorrow. But what we can focus on is today and doing what is right today and doing what feels right and following the Spirit as it leads us from day to day. And to allow and make room for the use of agency and understand that just because something was right with one person today doesn't mean necessarily it will be right tomorrow. But that doesn't mean that we don't still act on what was right today. And so here is the Savior calling Judas to be an apostle, but now due to the, the choices that he has made recently, the Savior is acutely aware that he is not the same person today that he was when he was called to be an apostle. And he points out to the others that there is one sitting among them that would betray him that night. Well, the part that I really want you to focus on that I think is so valuable is the answer that the apostles give. Because honestly, it's probably human nature at that point. I, I think I would be. If I'm sitting there in that group and he says something like that, um, I'm thinking, boy, it's gotta be it's gotta be Matthew. He's he's been a little shifty lately. There's some things that aren't quite right in his life. Probably is gonna be him or not, nah, it's gonna be Luke. Luke's probably the one that's gonna do it. Or no, Peter. There's something he's he always trying to lead us, always trying to, to, to be in charge. He's gonna be the one, right? It's human nature to point fingers at others. But look at what they do in verse 22. And this is so profound and so good, especially for you young people to learn at a very early age. It reads, And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Not is it him, not is it that person there, but is it I? 
There is such value in asking that question whenever anything goes wrong in life or whenever there's any challenges that that go on in life. Going back to my previous example of a divorce, again, it's it's human nature and going through hard things like that, especially with relationships, to point the finger at who? At the other person. Why did things not work out? Well, it was because of what they did. It's because of, of them doing this. They said that. When in reality, that does very little good because you and I cannot control, nor are we meant to control other people. Whenever we point fingers at others, it takes us out of our element of power and puts us into the realm of being a victim. And there is no power that comes to us in being a victim. In fact, we relinquish our victim in those circumstances. Instead, to be able to ask that question, well, is it I? What did I do wrong? What was my part in it? What is wrong with me that I can work on and fix? That is empowering and and helps us to stay in a place where we can grow and develop and we don't relinquish or give our power to anyone else but ourselves. We keep it and we recognize that it's up to us to change who we are. That we don't have to be a victim to other people or to circumstances or to anything. In fact, President Dieter F. Uchtdorf said, In these simple words, Lord is it I, lies the beginning of wisdom and the pathway to personal conversion and lasting change. Aristotle wrote that knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Many of you might recall a story that President Uchtdorf gave titled The Parable of the Dandelions. And I, and I love this. It teaches this principle so powerfully. He said, once there was a man who enjoyed taking evening walks around his neighborhood, and he particularly looked forward to walking past his neighbor's house. This neighbor kept his lawn perfectly manicured, flowers always in bloom, the trees healthy and shady. It was obvious that the neighbor made every effort to have a beautiful lawn. But one day, as the man was walking past his neighbor's house, he noticed in the middle of this beautiful lawn a single enormous yellow dandelion weed. It looked so out of place that it surprised him. Why didn't this neighbor pull it out? Couldn't he see it? Didn't he know that the dandelion could cast seeds that could give root to dozens of additional weeds? This solitary dandelion bothered him beyond description, and he wanted to do something about it. Should he just pluck it out or spray it with weed killer? Perhaps if he went under cover of night, he could remove it secretly. (laughs) These thoughts totally occupied his mind as he walked toward his own home. He entered in his house without even glancing at his own front yard, which was blanketed with hundreds of yellow dandelions. Boy, how easy is it to see the flaws in others and miss the flaws in ourselves? Do you remember the Savior's counsel that fits this parable perfectly? Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thy own eye? The asking of that question, Lord, is it I, helps us keep our focus where it needs to be, on us, on what we can do to improve, what our weaknesses are, not anyone else's that we really don't have control over. It does little good to point fingers at others because, again, we can't control others. But when we point the finger at ourselves, boy, then we can really make some changes. And that is such a great skill and mindset to develop at a young age, young people. Joseph Smith, I remember, once was asked about rumors as a lady approached him, having been having some rumors that were spread about her and very distraught about them. She asked the prophet what should be done in that situation, especially to those people that were saying things about her. 
And the prophet Joseph gave her some of the best counsel and advice that I've ever heard, especially as it relates to people saying things about us that, that aren't true or that are bad. And, and he, of all people, should know a little bit about that, right? He told this woman that what he does is that he looks closely. He says he examines closely the things that he said that, and that he has done and to see if there's any truth to anything that's being said about him. And if there are, then he's grateful that those things have been said so that he could better identify a potential weakness or mistake that he has made and correct it. But then in looking over his life, if he hasn't given any cause for those things to be said, then he doesn't worry about them because they just simply aren't true. Now there's a practice that keeps us in our power, that helps us to, to take anything that's negative and turn it into a positive by looking at ways that we can improve and that we can grow from them. Lord, is it I. Harold B. Lee once said, you cannot lift another soul until you are standing on higher ground than he is. You cannot light a fire in another soul unless it is burning in your own soul. We can help others first by building a better self. Through the asking of that question, Lord, is it I, the apostles are teaching all of us that the best place to, to go to for improvement is ourselves. And it starts by asking ourselves in each and every situation, Lord, is it I? What is my part in this? And what can I do to improve it? So some questions for you to consider as it relates to that great statement. First might be, what is a situation recently where you've been upset with someone else? Probably don't have to go too far or think back too long to, to find something that fits those parameters, right? Well, the second question then is, what was your part in that situation? Can you see it? What can you do to better develop the mindset of looking at what you can do to improve instead of telling others what they should do to improve? Why does it do little good to point fingers at others? And what happens to our power when we become a victim to others or a victim to our circumstances? Those are great questions to consider that can all help you to better, in the end, learn to ask that question, Lord, is it I? For this next principle, I want to go to John chapter 13, which has really the best account of the Savior washing the, the feet of his apostles. Now, I want you to first begin by trying to visualize this experience as it happened. Think about the significance of what is being taught and portrayed here. Here is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the God of heaven and earth. And what is he doing? He is washing the dirty feet of his apostles which was kind of customary back then, but it was done by a servant at the house. And here he is doing it. At first, Peter refuses and says, no, I don't want you to, to wash my feet. That's, he, I think he feels like there's something very off. I should be washing your feet. To which then the Savior says, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part of me. To which then Peter says, okay, well then uh, wash all of me, not just my feet, because well, Peter wants everything to do with Christ. Well, after that incredibly special experience, the Savior then teaches them why he did it. In verse 13, he says, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. It's just beautiful teachings. And then a few verses later in verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another, and that by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love 
one to another. Just some incredible teachings that really just serve as a reminder of the importance and the significance of always looking out for each other, lifting each other, helping each other, supporting each other, especially whenever we attain any kind of status. Here is again Christ, the the Savior of the world, God of heaven and earth. He is above us all. And what was he doing? He was washing his apostles' feet and then teaching them that that is what he wants them to do. And that's what he wants us to do. And this principle can be applied in so many different ways. We will all be in different positions of influence throughout of our throughout our life. And unfortunately, it's really human nature that whenever we get into any position of recognition or influence, to often think more highly of ourselves than those that we are meant to lead and to serve. But here the Savior is saying that if you want to be the best boss that you can be or the best manager that you can be, focus on serving those below you or beneath you or under you. If you want to be the the best captain of the football team or basketball team or cheerleader squad, then serve those that you are meant to lead. The best way to lead anyone is to serve them. The best way for you to be a friend is to serve your friends. The best way to be a, a father or mother is to serve your children. The best way to be a husband or wife will be in serving your spouse. In other words, we find our best selves by serving others best. But it's also so much more than that. The verse I want to conclude with is verse 17. And I want you to mark this one where the Savior says, For if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. In other words, our happiness is also tied to the things that we do for others. Notice he didn't say, if you know these things, you'll be happy. But it's if ye do them. In other words, the best way to feel better about ourselves is to help someone else to feel better. I remember quite some time ago coming across a story about a man that really took this principle to heart in a very interesting way. The story starts out with a nurse leading a very anxious young man to the bedside of an elderly man. Your son is here, she whispered to the elderly patient. The patient eyes open only after she repeated the word several times. The old man was heavily sedated for his pain and he dimly saw the young man standing beside him. The old man reached out his hand with all his might, and the young man warmly wrapped his fingers around it, squeezing a message of love and encouragement. The nurse brought a chair for the young man to sit beside the bed, and the young man sat holding the old man's hand, offering him words of love and strength and comfort all through the night. The dying old man said nothing as he held tightly to his son. Occasionally, the nurse suggested that the young man could move away and rest a while, but he refused. As dawn approached, the old man peacefully died with the young man still holding his hand. The young man placed the lifeless hand he had been holding on the bed and notified the nurse. While the nurse did what was necessary, the young man waited. When she was done with her task, the nurse began to say words of sympathy to the young man, but he interrupted her. Who was that man? he asked. The nurse was startled. I I thought he was your father, she answered. No, ma'am, he was not my father, he answered. I'd never seen him before in my life. The nurse was stunned by the young man's answer and asked, Then why didn't you say something when I brought you to him? He replied, I knew right away there had been a mistake, but I also knew that he needed a son, and his son just wasn't here. When I realized he wasn't able to tell whether I was his son or not, I understood how much he needed me to be beside him as his son, so I stayed. (laughs) He needed me, was his answer. 
President Mary G. Romney once said that service is not something we endure on earth so that we can earn the right to live in heaven. <laughs> no, service is the very fiber of which life in heaven is made. With the truth that was taught by the Savior when he said after washing his disciples' feet, as I have loved you, love one another, it's through loving others that we will come to best love ourselves. And young people, I implore you to take that message to heart. Did you, did you catch that? That it's through loving others that we will best come to love ourselves. I know how much I struggled with loving myself all throughout my teenage years. And you know what? In some ways, I still struggle with that today. I think that is a universal thing that we all struggle with. But I am learning more and more, again, that it is through loving others that we will best come to love ourselves. President Gordon B. Hinckley once said in a talk that he gave that the best medicine for despair is service. So again, I'll echo the words of the Savior. Happy are ye if ye do them. The best way to lift ourselves is to lift another. We rise, in fact, by lifting others. And so young people, I would encourage you. I know that there are people all around you all the time that are in need of being lifted. You just have to look for them. You have to watch for them as you're walking down the halls of school or in your classes or just being out in general in public. Always be looking for those that you can lift, that you can inspire, that you can help feel better. And you'll be amazed at how much better you will feel in the process. Now, a couple of key questions for you to consider to kind of help this principle sink in. One, how have you learned the value of service in your life? Can you think of a time that you really served another person and how did it feel when you did? How have you experienced greater happiness by helping others to be happy? What can you do to better remember this principle and to remember Jesus' example? And who's been a good example of this principle to you in your own life? Who has served you recently and how did it make you feel in being served in that way? Now, the last principle for today is a simple one, but one that I also think is very profound. And it's found back in Matthew chapter 26. After instituting the sacrament, which again, that is one of the key things we do every week. And I hope you see the reason why we do it. It is a way of remembering him, a need that we all have. But after instituting the sacrament there with his apostles, Look at what they do in verse 30, which I think is very significant, especially in as it relates to what's about to come. In verse 30, it records, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. It was in the Mount of Olives where the atonement would be wrought for you and for me and for every single person on earth. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he would suffer so much from our sins and sicknesses and weaknesses and infirmities that it would cause him to bleed from every pore. Shortly after, he would be taken to the Sanhedrin where he would be accused and spit upon and beat. And then the Romans to be whipped and and to have the crown of thorns placed upon his head. And then, of course, from there, the crucifixion that would take place uh, shortly after also. Before all of this, before the the most difficult part of the Savior's life, what did he choose to do to help him to face it? He chose a song, a hymn to sing before they left to go through all of that. I can only imagine the the fear, the anxiety, the the worry, the concern, what this was going to be like and feel like, and the, the pressure, everything that was weighing on the Savior's heart and mind. And he turned to music to help calm his troubled heart and soul. 
I remember Joseph Smith doing something very similar in Liberty Jail. He knew the end was coming. He knew the end was close. As he mentioned early on, he was going to uh, like a lamb to the slaughter. And in that, that moment of, of again, fear and, and trouble and doubt and concern, what was going to happen to the, the church, to all of his friends, to his family? What did Joseph turn to? He turned to a song, a poor wayfaring man of grief that he had sung over and over while he was in Carthage. I wanted to take a moment to point this out because I know, young people, how significant and important music is to you at your age. I know how important it was for me when I was that age, and I know how important it still is. I love music. I love the way that it makes me feel. I love the way that it inspires me. I love the way that it pumps me up for a workout. I love just the way it calms me and relaxes me when I'm going through hard and and troubling things as well. The power of music is very real, and it can do all of those things for you. But it's a power that we also need to be careful with. There was a good friend of mine who served in the military for years, and he once explained a military concept to me that I thought was very applicable to music. He said as they would drive around in military transports through very dangerous streets in often hostile countries, that the armor on their vehicles gave them plenty of protection from bullets and small arm fire. But the real threat, however, was from RPGs or rocket-propelled grenades. The initial impact and explosion would tear through most of the armor and not only do significant damage to the vehicle, but would then often significantly injure or kill several of those who were inside. So to help protect the troops inside better, they implemented a type of additional kind of cage armor that protruded from the main vehicle and its standard armor so that when the warhead would hit, it would end up taking the impact first. And then the explosion that followed was typically not strong enough to get through the main armor of the vehicle. Well, which that was all great and fine, but once the enemies of the military recognized this, well, they went to work to find a solution to get through that armor to do as much damage to the vehicle and those inside as possible. What they came up with was an RPG with a dual warhead, one that detonated on the initial impact, but then had a second warhead that was delayed that wouldn't detonate until it made a second impact in the main hole of the vehicle and the armor. That way, the RPG would hit the initial armor, destroying it, but the second warhead would continue through and impact the main vehicle, again, maximizing damage to the vehicle and troops. The conversation continued from there with additional measures and countermeasures being employed by both the military and our enemies, all in an effort to protect or destroy. It was quite fascinating. But I wanted to stop there to illustrate in some ways what you are up against in your life and what I am and what we all are. For the most part, we all come here with, you know, from God with a basic moral compass and general knowledge of what is right and wrong. That is very powerful armor for us. Very few of us would ever go out seeking for things that would be destructive to us. No, they end up finding their way to us. Satan knows that he can't get some messages into our minds directly. We have too good of a filter in place. Our initial armor is too strong for most of these kinds of messages to get through. So what does he do? Well, he creates a means to get that secondary explosion and impact through our initial armor, just like with a dual warhead. He will find something to carry his messages through whatever armor we have to get them into our heads and into our hearts. Those things that we should be guarding the most. And I have found that one of the most effective ways for him to do that is through, you guessed it, music. I mean, how often do you think we allow thoughts into our mind that are unhealthy 
and that are wrong because they're carried by songs that have a catchy beat or that are popular. How often do you think these thoughts slip right through our defenses? The scary thing, really for me, is that these messages don't usually just get through once, but several times, as especially popular songs are replayed over and over and over again. I've had multiple experiences in my life where I I recognize that music was impacting me negatively. From the lyrics that I was singing along to, to just the general way that it made me feel. There was a point in time where in high school, I was just angry a lot. I was angry at others. I was angry at my parents. I was just an angry person. Unfortunately, my father helped point out that I was angry, which caused me to kind of look and see like, okay, what is causing this anger? And I recognized at the time there was a lot of angry music that I was listening to. And I recognized I needed to make a little bit of a change. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that you need to always listen to Mormon Tabernacle Choir or just spiritual music all the time. That would drive anybody crazy. That is not what I'm saying at all. But we do need to be on guard constantly of not just the music that we're allowing into our lives, but the the messages, the lyrics, the words that are getting into our our heart and mind as well. Satan is very clever. He's very tricky. He's very deceptive. And he's very good at trying to get through our armor to get these kinds of things into our hearts and minds. So we always have to be prepared and recognize the, the power for good that music can have. I would hope that if you're having a bad day, that one of the places you'd be really quick to turn to would be music to help you to feel better. Put on a happy song and just watch how quickly it can help change the, the way that you think and the things that you feel. Or the next time that you feel afraid or, or troubled over something, that you might be quick to turn to music to help comfort you, to help calm you down, to help inspire you to keep moving forward and to be able to accomplish whatever is in front of you. And if you're ever feeling disconnected from God, music is a great way to help us reconnect with Him. President J. Reuben Clark Jr. once said in a, in a general conference that we get nearer to the Lord through music than perhaps through any other thing except prayer. And I've certainly found that to be true. And I would invite each of you to make that a regular part of your life, especially on Sunday. We have six days during the week where we can listen to all kinds of music that, that we love and that are, is fun. But I would absolutely encourage you to take one day to change your music for just a day to music that is uplifting and inspirational and spiritual in nature that can help you to connect to God on His day. And you'll be amazed at the way that that will filter out throughout the rest of your week and helping you to just have a better week and to feel better and to be better. Christ turned to music to face what was to be the most difficult moments of His life. Music has the power to take messages to the heart and mind that can both inspire and uplift as well as tear down and degrade. The choice, however, is yours and mine as to which one we allow to happen. Some questions for you to consider on this are, one, simply, what kinds of music are you currently allowing into your life? What kind of messages are you allowing into your life? Are there any songs that are slipping through questionable lyrics or messages into your heart and mind that you are putting on repeat, maybe even? What can you do to arm yourself against these kinds of attacks? Or is there any kind of music that you're aware of that is making you feel down, angry, or negative? Is there any music currently in your life that you're aware of that you know would drive the spirit away? How and and what can you do to use the power of music for good in your life? 
How can you incorporate the power of music, especially on Sunday, to help you draw closer to the Lord on this special day? Some great things for you to consider about. I hope that these principles have been helpful to you and that you have just a great week in studying the material from Come Follow Me this week. And if you'd like this podcast, if it's been helpful for you, I would ask you to do two things for me if that's okay. Number one, I would love for you to leave me a review. These reviews really go a long way to helping invite others to come and and listen and to experience these kinds of things for themselves. And then two, I want to make you aware of another podcast that I have just simply called The Drive. This is also a weekly podcast, but it's geared a little bit more towards personal growth and development. However, it is also very faith-based. And I know if you've liked this Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, you will love this one as it really is just for anybody looking to grow and improve personally, to develop the best parts of themselves, and to have a spiritual component woven into that development and growth all along the way. And I've been doing that podcast for just a little over two years. I'm up to to episode 552, so there are a ton of them, and they're all relatively short. I just wanted to make you aware of it in case you didn't know that that podcast also was in existence. Again, I really think if you like this one, you'll love that one and vice versa. Just trying to put as much out there as I can to be helpful and to help you become the best version of yourself that you can be. As always, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful, whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, of blessedness, joyfulness, is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and he invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow him better this week and become better as we follow him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.